0: All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King.
1: And I'm Kyle Grondon. And
0: because this is the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, we are deciding to not talk about the NFL at all. Uh, We will not acknowledge the two games that just previously were played. We are not acknowledging the game that will be played in a week. As anyone who's a sports fan knows, this two weeks is maybe the worst period of time in terms of football coverage, just narrative-wise.
1: Well, it's all beaten to death, so... Yeah. Yes, we're going to be the only people in sports media not talking about football.
0: Yes, instead we're going to be talking about everything else that's going on right now. We're talking the NBA, we're talking college basketball, we're talking, I don't know, the MLB, if there's enough to talk about that. But uh, yeah, we're just going to get through everything else because... I know if you're uh, a sports fan, you're listening to all the stories about a certain number 12 and a certain young kid out of Kansas City, and that's all that's going to be talked about. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about everything else. So you ready to jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, as always, this is the Sports Break Podcast, where it's less of a expert opinion and more about a water cooler conversation. So uh, let's just jump into it. So let's start off with the NBA right now, because outside of the NFL, which is obviously getting into the fun part of their season, the, the end of the playoffs, the NBA to me has been very f- interesting because they've now gotten the COVID hits that yeah. that they really didn't experience last um, this year. Obviously, they canceled their entire season or postponed it for months, but they never really had this whole like, oh, this team is not playing because of COVID or this game's not playing because of COVID. Now they're experiencing that, and I think it's very interesting to see how that's affecting the NBA.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think we saw it in MLB where, you know, some teams really kind of fell apart and got hit hard, and, you know, we saw some teams, like, nobody thought the Marlins were going to be any good, and after they had their COVID spout, they all came back, and they they came out really well and um, had a good season, so it's like, the same thing could happen in the NBA this year, it's just... uh, I think it's it's created almost a lot of parody because we had a team like the Celtics were really, looking really good, then Jason Tatum's been out for a week, you had a team like the Sixers who were going crazy, and uh, then they lost, they were down to like seven guys on their roster at one point. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, the Knicks have been doing really well, and we'll, we see teams like, Relatively. for the Knicks, they've been in, they really yeah. shined in that first, I think, up until like a couple of days ago, they had the best defense in the East uh statistically um Mm -hmm. obviously uh the league is still right now run by lebron and run by the lakers
1: yeah that's the one constant it really seems like despite everything that's going on and how much parity's in the league it still feels like i think we could have a really fun regular season in playoffs it still feels like we're all kind of living in the lakers world right now and they're just destined to win the championship and
0: obviously, again, it's January. It's very early. You can't say anything, especially as you mentioned, so many teams are not only trying to figure themselves out, but are also dealing with COVID and injuries mm-hmm. uh, to the point that I know we experienced that in our fantasy basketball league where we had to figure out what to do about that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I have six guys on my injury list right now for fantasy. You've basketball. you've gotten hit hard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you have like seven at one point or so, or like,
1: I am missing Kevin Love, Jaron Jackson Jr., um, Russell Westbrook is hurt again, Devin Booker's okay. hurt right now, Rui Hachimura is hurt. I'm missing a lot of guys. And the
0: worst part is you're missing big guys, because yeah. for those who've never played fantasy basketball, most of that, in the same way that like receivers and running backs are very valuable in NFL fantasy it's all about getting rebounds or at least a big part of it's getting rebounds in the, in, 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 basketball fantasy. So for you to be missing guys like Kevin Love, who we'll, we'll get into him, but maybe he's not in Cleveland in a few days. We'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens with some of the other big men, but you missing big men is going to be hurting your team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I still got a winning record right now, but I'm doing okay. We'll bounce back. I, I feel really good about my team, but yeah, I mean, it, the, uh, the COVID stuff's been really interesting. It's been hard for a lot of teams. The, uh, you know, teams that we thought would be contenders, like maybe the Mavericks are a sleeper. Maybe the Celtics are going to come on and be that team in Mm -hmm. the East. That way everyone's been waiting for them to be. And, uh, they really kind of haven't panned out. Even the team like the heat who made the finals last year is on the outside looking in. They've been hit with COVID too. So COVID's really bad though. A whole nother element to this league right now. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that works going forward. And, uh, the East is really compelling to me. I think there's a couple really good teams at the top.
0: Yeah, and I, I think when you're talking about the East and you're talking about, first of all, while I understand what you're saying about the Celtics and their injuries, they are still, I believe, in the top seed in the East, or at least in the top area. And obviously it's early still, but I don't think... The biggest disappointments, to me at least, have been the Miami Heat have not looked nearly as good as they were in the bubble. Um, I fear that this Heat team that we saw in the bubble is going to be like the fluke of the decade to where not necessarily that they're a bad team, but that over the course of that decade, they're never going to match what they were able to do in the bubble in 2020. Um, and then you look at the Pelicans, obviously are a huge example of a team that everyone, not even necessarily were playoff locks, but just are not playing well. Uh, they're looking at to be sellers right now. And yeah, I think, I don't know what the deal is with the Mavericks. Uh, I haven't been able to watch them because of all these shenanigans involving uh, Fox Sports. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just as a team, I still think they have the potential to be, and I think ultimately, I think they will do something in the playoffs versus uh, what they were normally, what they're playing like right now. But in terms of, I think they're a team that's more than anyone has been hurt by injuries and not having the full squad i mean they still haven't had a full composure game out of christops
1: yeah well so the problem has been that first of all they started the season without porzingis and along with starting the season without porzingis they also had Doncic seemingly come into the league out of shape as a lot of it seemed like players did because they weren't really sure when the season was starting and then all of a sudden the the tv rights guys were like we need Christmas Day games, so we're gonna play Christmas Day.
0: Yeah, that was that whole situation. I think will be talked about for a while. Like, yeah. like, and I understand that every league to some degree has had a weird off season in terms of the MLB essentially had a nine months, eight month off season. The NFL had a weird off season where players weren't necessarily able to practice the whole time, but the NBA had maybe a month. For a lot of those playoff teams, and especially if you're like yeah. the Lakers and the Heat, you had maybe three weeks from between everything going, and yeah. especially if you're talking about the draft happened in October versus normally happening in July. There's there was a lot of It was
1: very rushed. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, so yeah, and then uh you know, so now Dallas has Luca kind of back playing his way. He's like almost a walking 30, 10 and twelve right now. Mm-hmm. Um he's playing really well, but Now it's Porzingis is working his way back into things. And it's like, he's had a couple good games, but it's also like he's starting games two for eight, two for nine, and then getting going and having a solid day overall. And then you have guys like Josh Richardson's now out, who's a guy who they got as a big contributor, and he was very good early on and hasn't been able to play. Then you have a few other guys. It's like, we're stuck with a lot of Willie Cauley-Stein right now, Mm -hmm. and you're just not going to be successful with a lot of Willie Cauley-Stein in your lineup and your rotation. So... I think they'll be okay. They gotta, they gotta hope these guys get healthy, get back, and they can get back to playing their best basketball. I still feel like it's a team that's a, a move or two away, and one of those move or two might be getting rid of Porzingis because it's, you know, it's a problem that he can't stay healthy. So and I Dallas also, is an interesting team.
0: No, and I also, speaking of the Mavs, before we go on to the Pelicans and some of the other teams in the NBA that I think have either struggled or have really surprised, I think when you look at this Mavs team. I think you have the surefire guy in Luca. Like He's a guy who's going to keep your team involved for the next 20, 10 years. 10 to 20 years. And then you got Porzingis, who he's kind of in this realm of can he be the next Dirk, the next great wing creating power forward, and this this great space guy, pacing space guy, or is he kind of the guy who's doomed by injury and not being great is he a is he a great second weapon or is he just kind of a a guy who gets a lot of stats but isn't necessarily on a winning team um and then you look at like tim hardaway jr had a great year last year he's kind of been all over the place this year uh same you could say with uh, josh richardson james johnson has actually kind of surprised me with how good he's played Uh, not that he's not a good player but he's really filled that kind of tim hardaway role in the kind of how the team runs i don't know the mavs to me are a team that Wouldn't surprise me if they underperformed during the regular season, get into the playoffs, and then do really well.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a team that constantly is banking on getting that free agent guy, and they've just constantly missed on them. So we'll see what happens with the Mavericks. I think they need to add a few more pieces. I think uh, you know Hardaway's got to play better. Maybe when Porzingis gets into the game, that that's going to help, and he's going to play better, too. Um but they're close. I don't think they're that far off because they have the most important piece, which is the superstar talent that's leading them. And, you know, I don't think he'll win MVP this year because of the record of the team. But he's Luca's playing at an insane level right now. He's playing really good yeah, basketball.
0: Especially with, as we talked about, outside of the Lakers, the West is kind of all over the place. Like you're talking about Golden State and how they've played this year. And they're a team that's both underperformed and overperformed at the same time in terms of you know Steph Curry maybe having his best individual career yeah maybe outside of 2015 but the team itself
1: has just kind of been fine well it's it's a team that was the worst team in basketball last year and gets Steph Curry back so that's obviously really helped i think that it's been fun watching them they're actually a really fun watch for having so many guys who just aren't that good on their team so that's interesting to see because Wiggins has almost been revitalized and it's like all of a sudden he wants to play defense now. It's funny to um, see
0: um, Wiggins and Kelly Oubre because I think everyone going into this year thought, oh, Oubre is going to be a nice supporting guy and then we're kind of questioning on Wiggins. It's kind of been the opposite. Wiggins has kind of been the guy everyone thought Oubre would be coming into the, the season. While Oubre
1: kind of been a, like a mess. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that they're they're kind of forcing him to shoot too many jump shots, and he's not a jump shooter. I don't think, yeah. He, he's not a jump shooter. He needs to be slashing more. Part of that's on him, and I think part of that is also the setup. And, uh, you know, I think Wiseman has had good moments and had some horrific moments, but, you know, he's going to be, I think, a good player. It's just going to take a little bit for him, as it normally does for big men, especially on the defensive end. You know, there's a game against, the, not the big comeback against the Clippers, but the one that they lost the night before, You know, Ibaka had Wiseman kind of looking like an idiot out there. And I don't think Wiseman's a bad basketball player, but there's just things that Ibaka has seen in the league that he knows what to do. And I think Wiseman is watching a lot of this and is like, oh, wow, these guys are actually really good. And it's like, I can't just sit here and try and, you know, nab a bunch of blocks because these guys are too good to do that. So I think the Warriors are going to be fine. But to me right now, it looks like three teams in the West. It looks like. The, uh, the Lakers are the Lakers. They're dominant. It looks like the Clippers are back and kind of figured out their chemistry issues. I don't know if I'm going to trust it in the postseason because of just the history. But the way Kawhi's playing right now, Kawhi's having a fantastic year and doing a lot more creating. And then the third team is the Utah Jazz, who are playing at an insane rate right now. Conley's been really good. The Raptor rating from 538 has him rated as the best player in basketball right now which is absurd. He's not the best player in basketball. No, no, no. But it's just crediting to how good he's been this year after looking like he might be washed up last year. Having him, Mitchell, Bogdanovich is back and playing really well, which has helped. And then Jordan Clarkson's hit another level. He looks like almost a shoe-in for sixth man of the year already early in the season. He's been really good off the bench and providing scoring for that team. That's a really good basketball team as well. I don't know if they have the top-end talent, but they look really good.
0: This is the, the Jazz team that I thought we would have last year and that I think a lot of people thought there would be last year. You know, when you get Conley onto the uh, jazz that we saw with uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, um, it, it seems that that chemistry that is back after possibly being hurt by the whole COVID situation with Rudy Gobert. Um, the team, yeah, I, I don't know if they'll be able to, uh, to replicate that come uh, the playoffs, because, again, the playoffs are so much about star talent and i'm still not sure if either donovan mitchell or rudy gobert are at that level yet of the paul george kawhi leonard lebron james anthony davis type but they're a very good team and it would not surprise me at all if they make a run towards the western conference finals uh i i I thought what you said about the clippers was correct in that this just looks like a more coherent team like a more coherent version of last year um I will give props to them, honestly, for the Shamet kennard trade. I think Kennard's been a much better fit in that offense yeah, and a much better fit on that team. Uh, again, I think Abaka has been really good, better than Harrell, honestly, just in terms of what he provides for the Clippers itself. Yep. I, I think there will always be questions about that team, specifically because we've seen them year in and year out underperform when the playoff times come. Yeah. But they, I think, clearly slot into that right behind the Lakers slot. And then, yeah, I think there's a lot of other question marks throughout the, 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 the conference in terms of the Mavs, the Suns, what's going on in Houston, uh, what's going to happen in some of the other big, you think, Portland, I think Denver. Denver's been one of those weird teams, again, where
1: they just don't look as sharp as they did last year. Well, Jokic is playing at an MVP level. And he's playing, I think, his best basketball of his career, which is insane, because he just keeps getting better, and now he's like, mm-hmm. he he's still the generational passer while adding 25 points a game now, which is just really high-level basketball. Um, I'm giving them a little bit, little bit of a pass because Michael Porter Jr. hasn't played, and part of letting Jeremy Grant go, which Grant's been really good on the Pistons, uh, who are the worst team in basketball, so... You know, take that with a grain of salt. He has been really good with the It's not his uh, fault that they're the yeah. West team in basketball. So, yeah. uh, you know, let part of letting Jeremy Grant go was, okay, Michael Porter Jr. is taking the spot. He's going to be that guy. He had 30 points the other night against the Mavericks, which was a good game, but he was out for a lot of the beginning of the season. So maybe they start putting it together and Denver makes a run towards the top of the West as well. And that's another dangerous team you have to look at because if Porter can hit that next level, and they have all of a sudden that big two and a half with Jokic, Porter, and mm. I'm still counting Jamal Murray as a half. He's been terrible to start the year. He's too. been
0: he's he's had an awful half. I still think he will do like he did in the playoffs, and he's been very consistent. The problem I have with the Nuggets this year is, and I think you agree with it, is they're a team that's always thrived on. You know, we know that necessarily Murray and Jokic, or if it's this year, if it's Porter Jr. and Jokic. They've usually thrived on having so many depth pieces behind that that you can find a guy to be good in the game whether it's uh Gary Harris, whether it's in the past, whether it's um what's his name? Uh Plumlee, whether it's Millsap. They're not getting that this year from their team. It seems like it's all relied on Jokic and for the first half of the season Murray and he has not stepped up yeah they're just they're not the same Nuggets team that not only made the Western Conference Finals last year but have looked good over the last couple of years and with the Clippers in theory back on track with the Mavericks jumping back into possibility and with the Jazz again playing really really well kind of filling that role of the deep team but not necessarily with the star power I don't know if the Nuggets are going to contend well
1: yeah i mean we'll see like i said i'm giving it a pass because if they can find that third superstar with porter Mm -hmm. which i think he has the potential to be i don't know if he is going to reach that potential he has the potential to be that kind of player we saw it in high school and we're starting to see glimpses of it now if they can find that then i'm kind of in on the nuggets because you know we've seen that you know star talent wins out no matter what and having that kind of talent helps uh But he's not there yet, so what they're going to need in the immediate uh, presence is guys like uh, you know, Monty Morris has to play better. Will Barton has to play better. Millsap has to – I think Millsap still shows glimpses of Atlanta Hawks Paul Millsap, but obviously with his age, it's not the same. He's got to make sure he's at least providing 10 and 10 a night. Or at least providing what he did in the playoffs because in the playoffs
0: he was very good.
1: Yeah, so I mean they just need those guys to really step up and have that seven or eight guys they can rely on in a playoff game. Meanwhile,
0: uh, we've been talking about the top of the Western Conference. The bottom, we've got two teams who have both underperformed, not just in terms of what their expectations were, but in terms of what you expect from them in that the Pelicans and the Timberwolves. Well, the Timber, like, listen, we'll talk about the Pelicans in a second because they've been, to me, the biggest disappointment of the year in terms of where they should be. All the assets they have on their team and what they're constructed as. Minnesota
1: stinks. I'll just Minnesota
0: stinks, and they shouldn't because they have, in theory, two top twenty-five players in the NBA. In I mean, wrestling. I
1: don't I don't view D'Angelo I don't view D'Angelo Russell that high. I think the problem is that they're two stars or guys they want to be stars don't want to play defense they don't play defense and you know towns has had a difficult year and obviously battled through injuries and covid now a whole lot of things going on with him obviously you know hope for the best in that situation but as far as basketball playing abilities we haven't seen him play at the defensive level we thought he could have been out of kentucky and d'angelo russell has never played defense so if you're gonna have two stars who don't want to play defense what's the what's the incentive for everybody else to play defense you know I, I like malik beasley off the bench but he's kind of the the vacuum volume scorer guy and then they drafted that same exact guy with anthony edwards who is essentially like a like a 15 0 and 0 guy that's exactly what he wants to be he doesn't want to pass he doesn't want to rebound he doesn't want to defend he just wants to have cool dunks and shoot the ball 10 times a game um uh, so yeah i mean i don't really like that team i don't like the makeup they wait they you know and with the way the draft lottery it's and the odds are there's a chance they're not in the top three, and then all of a sudden they don't lose their pick to Golden State because they added D'Angelo Russell.
0: And also, into that credit, even if they do land a pick, I don't know if there's anyone in this draft who I necessarily think saves that team. They're just, they they got a lot of weird issues. And again, I think you talk about it with the stars. Like, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns has had a really rough start to this, to this season. Give whatever credit you have, the the short off season, COVID, losing his uh, so many family members in 2020. That team has just, you talk about the Pistons and you talk about they're the worst team in the NBA, both in terms of one of the worst records in the NBA. Uh, technically, the Wizards have a slightly worse record, but the Pistons are very close. But then also in terms of their makeup. At least the Pistons have the excuse of the past is so bad, and they don't have great players right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think their best player technically would be considered Derek Rose.
1: I mean, I I think Grant's legitimately good. Yeah, he's good, um, but
0: I don't know if I would consider him anyway, regardless. The Pistons don't have a like a historically really good player right now on that team. Yeah. The Timberwolves, like, you don't you discount D'Angelo Russell. They still have Townsend Russell who, in theory, should be better than this. Yeah. Who, for all intents and purposes, with the money they're getting paid, with the draft picks they were used to acquire them, and being the number one and number two picks five years, six years ago, they should be booing better than this. And for them to be not even competitive in some of the games they have, just looking awful. I mean, when you're 2-8 and eight in your last ten games,
1: like... yeah. Is awful. Well, maybe they, you know, maybe they can make a run at things when Towns comes back. I don't see it just because, like I said, I don't think they're going to bring it on the defensive end. And I don't think they're talented enough to be able to outscore teams like the Brooklyn Nets can. No. So maybe they'll be able to make a run at with Towns. I don't see it. I think this is kind of a lost year and they need to, you know, have a long look at what they need to do to get better. Maybe that's trading Russell, who I, you know, I think you take, I was high on him out of the draft. I think he's a super talented player.
0: But he's also,
1: you know, he also shoots a lot at the point guard spot. He also doesn't defend well, like I said. And, you know, the energy isn't always there with him. So maybe moving on from a guy like that's the best option.
0: And I still think that Russell has a place on this team and has a place to be very good in the NBA. I just think if you're whoever the coach of the Timberwolves is and whoever needs to figure that out, because outside of the team we're going to get to in a second, they have just wasted all their potential. And it's it's embarrassing. Yeah. The only thing that's saving their butts is that the Pelicans somehow are just as bad as them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and it really baffles me that this is what we're getting out of Stan Van Gundy and out of that team that has so many assets. Uh, we, we we talked about this before the season, but the Pelicans, in theory, have like... Are, eight or nine deep in just terms of guys who not only would get traded, but guys who just, like, could start for a lot of teams. Whether you look at Bledsoe, uh, Lonzo Ball, J.J. Redick, uh, obviously Zion and Steven Adams. They were a not only a sleeper playoff team for me, they were a sleeper team that could make, like, the conference finals or, like, the conference semifinals. And they just look like a
1: mess. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that this is on david griffin for me uh this one's on the general manager for me because i think that he's done a good job of getting draft picks and using a good job of selling assets um i think the problem is is the assets he's brought in to build this team just don't make sense together it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a guy like stephen adams on this team and not only that but paying a guy like stephen adams 18 million dollars where you can get Tristan Thompson to do 75% of that for like $5 million makes zero sense to me. And it just it, it's clunky because you have Adams out there with Ingram and Zion who, you know, Ingram's a good scorer and Zion can score too. They're not shooters. They're not three-point shooters, so there's no spacing there. Then you're throwing a guy like Bledsoe out there as well who's also not a three-point shooter. It doesn't make sense. They have one three-point shooter on their roster, and that's JJ Redick. And they barely play Redick as it is. So it just—he's also like thirty-six. It's not like he's like the young spring shooter. Yeah. So it just makes no sense to me. Everybody else is playing this spacing style, and they just decided to do this whole one-eighty on the league, and it's not working. It's completely. There's no spacing on the game. There's no room for Zion to do what Zion does best. And this is another team that I think needs to take a long look at. You know who is worth keeping on this roster? What pieces fit? You know, similar to how we uh, viewed for a lot of years Simmons and Embiid and how they fit. Do Do Ingram and Zion fit together? I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be the case. And does one of them need to move? And it's and uh, and there there are so
0: many chemistry issues all over the board. We've seen like I get the idea of bringing in Adams and Williamson in terms of if you make those two work, you have the one of the best. Uh, paint protectors in the game alongside Zion who can do so much on defense but again there where's your shooting coming from yeah like I personally see so many great players who could be great but you need someone you need someone younger <laughs> you, d- you don't need 36 JJ Redick to be the guy shooting all your shots for you yeah you need it to be someone who's not only getting more minutes, but it's also someone who can be in your starting lineup so that you can expect him to play alongside Zion and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram down the stretch. Their team, I could see them blowing up. Outside of Zion and Brandon Ingram, I could see them trading everyone.
1: Yeah, and they're a team that's talked about that. I guess J.J. Redick and Lonzo are now on the market, which could be interesting depending on what value they can get in return. And Lonzo hasn't looked bad this year. In fact, I think outside of
0: maybe his rookie year, this is probably one of the best Lonzo's we've
1: seen. I thought Lonzo was really good last year until he showed up to the bubble. Um, I thought he was terrific, uh, and then the bubble kind of changed everything. But another thing, too, is uh, I think Stan Van Gundy said one of the post-games is that, you know, the Stars also have to be better defensively. This is kind of the same thing with Minnesota. Uh, We saw with Duke... How good Zion can be defensively, all those blocks, he hasn't really brought it in the NBA at the defensive level. I know some of it is a learning curve, especially post-defense, but he's got to be a lot better defensively. Ingram's got to bring more energy defensively. A lot of this is just kind of that energy and effort thing that we see out of these teams that it just seems like they don't care about playing defense. And you're not going to win a lot of games that way. So they've; those two teams have been
0: the disappointments of the Western Conference, and probably the two disappointments that you could say of the season so far. Uh, in the East, I think that's been solely put on some. Some will put it on the Wizards. You know, one of the worst records in the NBA right now. But I also think they've been hit a lot by injuries, as you mentioned, Rui Hichemara, and just the weirdness of that team. And I ultimately think they're very similar to Houston in that they're just waiting for the best offer to trade Bradley Beal. But the heat, man, you're coming off of an NBA Finals appearance. Yeah. You're coming off of a winning two games against the LA Lakers and having this great bubble run and having so many assets. You were the team that like everyone thought Giannis was going to get traded to. And there's so much talk about you as the next great team. You've looked awful. You, you have not looked good during the stretch. You've maybe had like three good games of your 16 so far. Yeah. The, the team just, this this looks like what everyone thought the Heat would be, which is a bunch of players who can't who don't really fit well in Jimmy Butler. This has um, not look great.
1: I, I think, I think Bam's been really good. I think he's at another level and he's been one of the best players. I think he's uh, continued to look like a star center in this league for a number of years and he's going to be. I think the problem is is that we saw a lot of guys last year for the Heat kind of overperform and it seems like they're kind of regressing back to the mean. We're looking at a guy like Kendrick Nunn who was unreal to start the season and playing meaningful playoff minutes who... Just doesn't seem like a guy who's going to be a long-term starting point guard in the league. He's, he's not. He seems kind of like a spark plug at best. You're looking at Jimmy Butler, too, who I think is an all-star. I think he's a great player. But he was playing legitimately like a top-ten guy in the playoffs. And I don't think he's a top-ten guy. So well, if you're not getting that top-ten production out of him, You know, it looks like a completely different team in that regard. And, you know, I think we were ready to anoint Tyler Hero as the greatest player in basketball history history last year. And it's clear that it's going to take a little bit longer for him to be pretty good. So I think this, you know, I think they overperformed expectations so much last year that as it regresses back to the mean, it looks disappointing.
0: I will give Hero more time just because we're seeing him in a new role that he did not play last year. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously he's still very young. I believe he just turned 20 maybe last month or something like that. He's still ridiculously young. Yeah. So I give I give him time to learn that new role and grow. And maybe he overperformed in the playoffs than he would have normally. But he still has the potential to be great. Uh, out, Yeah, outside of BAM, everyone has either regressed or has looked awful. Uh, Goran tragic has not played well. Yeah. Um, that's another team I think that's been hit with some injury bugs. Like we've seen Avery Bradley miss a couple games. We, we obviously saw that in the uh, free agency, they lose a couple of their really good players. Um, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're uh, we I mentioned this to you earlier, and I've talked about this uh, with my brother, also named Kyle. Um, okay. But uh, they're a team that to me in five to 10 years, we could look back and be like,
1: Hey, remember the bubble heat? Remember when they made the NBA Finals? Yeah. Man, that was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think before they made that run to the Finals, this was the team that we looked at was like, okay, this team needs a couple more pieces. This was the team that thought they would be in that Giannis sweepstakes that ended up yeah. not happening uh, next season. And I think they're a team that needs more pieces. This team does – I mean, if you look at them, they're averaging 107 points per game, which is yeah. in the bottom half of the Eastern Conference. So – it's a team that needs to add pieces. It needs and they to need top some, end
0: pieces. Yeah. Is it, the thing. yeah,
1: it needs to add some bucket getters because you can't win getting, looking at it here now, you can't win getting 15.8 points per game out of Jimmy Butler. You, this team is just not built to win that way. You can't win with, you know, I like the Avery Bradley signing, but, you know, there's a limit to what he can be. You need top end talent, like you said, and they, they just don't have it right the, now. They, more than any team, need to
0: be looking at Bradley Beal really hard because I think not only would he provide the scoring option that you mentioned they need right now, but they just need something. They need more talent, more vibrance. They don't need to be this team that, and I fear what they're going to do is they're going to try and swap some of their younger. Okay. Players with better. Okay. Players like trading like a five for a six. No, they need to get a 10. They need to get a top end talent. If, and obviously we don't know how many of those guys are going to be available right now. But if there's one available, they need to go straight for it because otherwise, they may lose—not only lose their momentum on this season, they may be completely out of the playoff picture. Looking at some of those top teams and how they're trending,
1: would you trade? Uh, would you trade Hero, None, and Two first for Brandon Ingram?
0: Not Brandon Ingram. My problem with Brandon Ingram is I think he's a good scorer, but alongside Jimmy Butler, I don't think that's enough shooting. Uh, well you'd have Duncan Robinson and Drogic yeah but I don't for, I, I, first of all I, I've written off Drogic I mean in terms of like being a big part of their team uh, I know he's getting paid a lot but yeah. I just, just genuinely don't think that Drogic right now is going to be more than just a bench guy or a guy who provides good minutes for on defense I personally think that Brandon Ingram would be a good piece on a lot of teams but I think with him and jimmy baller having very similar offensive styles i think it would be better to go for a pure shooter
1: yeah yeah i mean i think that they you know they need to build around bam i think everybody else is expendable at that point because bam looks like a legit star in this league and then you build around the rest
0: yeah true they're they're an interesting team and i think their direction is going to be telling a lot more about the future of the east going forward uh because right now we're looking at it, the Celtics and 76ers are the tops in the conference. The Bucks are right near there. Those three teams will probably be fighting alongside the team that's right now in fifth, who we've seen some kind of regression and fighting with over these last couple of weeks, the uh, Brooklyn Nets.
1: I mean, this team needs a center badly. They need... Uh... It sinks that they had to trade Jared Allen. I mean, they James were talking about trading so him back, which is funny. They're not getting Jared Allen back. They're they're gonna have to get a guy like McGee, JaVale McGee, yeah. or they're gonna have to get another lesser known center or something like that. Because listen, DeAndre Jordan's washed. He can't play defense anymore. He's not the same guy that he was at the Lop City. I know he's an A and M guy, so that hurts your feelings. Well, <laughs> it, he also quit on us, so yeah. I don't care about that. Yeah. So I mean, I just think that. He is not the same guy he was at Lob City, and he's not going to be. So, I just don't think he has a chance. They don't have a chance with this, uh, with him playing center to defend anybody. No. And the other thing we have to talk about is three of them, too, playing defense. Because when we've seen these super teams form, we've seen guys like, um, you know, we've seen the 08 Celtics, all three of them bottom to the defensive end. You know, I know KG was a great defender before that, but... Pierce and Allen were two guys who weren't big on defense. They really committed to the defensive end because they're like, listen, I'm giving 15% less on offense to play with these two guys. Mm -hmm. I need to bring it defensively. We saw the Heatles when they all got together. You know, Bosch transformed into this lengthy seven-foot defensive center who was awesome. You saw Wade commit to the defensive end almost fully because LeBron was taking so much off of them. And LeBron was a great defender anyway and probably should have won Defensive Player of the Year too with the Heat. You look at the Warriors, how they were always a top 10 team in defensive rating when Kevin Durant was added because they all brought it on defensive end. And guys who weren't great defenders, like if you looked at Steph Curry, not a great one on one defender, but he's really good at getting in the right spot and getting steals. So they committed to the defensive end. These three guys just have to say, look, we got to play defense to win. You know, not all of us have to score 30 a game. If we all pl- committed to scoring 24, 25 a game and playing great defense, there's no reason that they shouldn't because they're great athletes.
0: And the, the problem, I feel like, with that respect is twofold. Uh, one, the fact that um, they don't come here. In fact, for a lot of those guys, they don't necessarily have the defensive pedigree, but they also weren't, like, historically bad defenders. Mm-hmm. Some of the – James Harden and Kevin, Kevin Kyrie Irving didn't come to the Brooklyn Nets necessarily with great defensive reputations. Yeah. Uh, specifically, James Harden for a while was a meme with how bad he was on defense and how – not that necessarily that he can't become that defensive effort guy, but that he definitely comes in with a little bit of a historical badge of bad defense on him. And then also they have a rookie coach. And not necessarily that Steve Nash hasn't been a good coach this year, but when you're trying to kind of juggle all those pieces and you're also trying to get them to play good defense, it helps to have a guy who's kind of been there before and has established that before. And I don't know. The other problem I feel like is, specifically with how the Big Three evolves, is that you need to kind of establish early who the Batman, the Robin... And I guess I'd call it the Alfred, or the Nightwing, or the just the, the third guy in that team. The
1: disrespect the Batgirl.
0: I don't want to call them Batgirl, though. I feel like that would be more disrespectful to whoever the third person is. I mean, she... She was badass, I'm not yeah, going to deny that. So, yeah, so... I mean, well, I think... Anyway, my point being, uh, Kyrie Irving,
1: to me, is a bad fit for that third role. I mean, I think they're going to be fine in the end. I I mean, I really do just because the talent's there. I I can criticize the talent and how it's going to work together. But, like, even, like, the Heat, when they all got together, started 9 and 8. This team, I think, is going to figure it out. And there's not a lot of teams that are going to be able to stop them scoring. Mm. Because you can run a pick-and-roll with Harden and... If Harden gets stopped, it's really hard to then stop Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving if he decides to pass the ball. So, and Joe Harris is basically just going to sit there wide open. He's one of the best shooters in mm-hmm. the entire game. So I think they're going to be fine. It's just going to take a little bit, and I think that they have to realize what they're doing and commit to the defensive mm-hmm. end to potentially win a championship because I think that they can win the East with ease. But beating the Lakers is a whole other conversation. And I also think one of their...
0: Troubleshoots are going to have is how how are they going to get maximum value outside of that big three? Because I think you looked at if you've looked at all the other big threes or the big groupings we've had over the years, they've been able to survive because they've gotten really big contributions outside of it. You look at the, the Celtics big three and what they got out of Rajon Rondo and Kendrick Perkins. Uh, you look at
1: Eddie House, Leon Poll.
0: Yeah, 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 all those guys. Uh, you look at the Miami Heat and what they got out of guys like Mario Chalmers, Chris Anderson, uh, Shane Battier. For people who don't know, is probably the reason they win those two titles. Yeah. He was amazing on that team. Ray and then, Allen and then Ray out. Allen, obviously winning that title in 2013. And then we could talk for days about the Warriors and
1: Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston. Andre Iguodala, NBA Finals MVP for holding LeBron to like 35 points. a game. Yes. What a game. What a guy. guy. I mean, he was a really important role player. I'm just mostly joking about that one. And
0: all that matters is we now have that great first take clip of Max Kellerman says you would take a shot of Iggy over Steph Curry. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Just gotta love.
0: Gotta gotta love NBA, or gotta love TV sports personalities have to say some of the stupidest things in the world.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that is going to be interesting. I I think that they're going to get a lot out of Joe Harris. It's going to be the other guys. like yeah. I keep hitting this thing. Uh, Joe Harris. Um, then there's going to be guys like Shamit, uh, Timothy Timothy Luawu Luau- Cabarro, something like that. I would just call him uh, TLC. Yeah, I think they're going to have to get a lot out of him. And then whoever they decide to bring in as big men to, to provide good minutes at the center position, it's going to be important for them, too. Yeah. Because if it's a guy like JaVale, JaVale's got to play at a high level, too, defensively to set the tone for this team.
0: They're going to have to do well in the buyout game. uh, Like a lot of those teams have.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. They're going to be interesting. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when the James Harden trade was official. This isn't going to be a deal that necessarily is going to be decided at all in the immediate future. It's going to be decided five to 10 years in the future. If not 20, 30 years in the future, if the trade for James Harden was successful and if the Brooklyn Nets big three was successful, uh, I remember a time when everyone thought that Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce moving to Brooklyn would make the that version of the Nets unstoppable. And obviously it turned into maybe the biggest train wreck in modern NBA history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll see. I do think this eastern conference the Eastern Conference to me is more interesting than the Western Conference this year, just because there are like three or four teams competing for that top spot versus in the Western Conference we all assume it's probably going to be the Lakers again uh, just with how they've constructed themselves um, I think standing right now I could see the heat I, I mean sorry not the heat I could see the Celtics, I could see the Nets I could see the 76ers I could see the Bucks. Uh, low key I could see the, pay, the Pacers doing something crazy in the playoffs and maybe making it. Uh, there's a lot more questions with the Eastern Conference uh, and I think that's exciting I think We'll see something crazy. We've also seen a lot more crazy things at the bottom end in terms of the Hornets have played really well and had some really good games.
1: Uh, LaMelo- some bad ones sprinkled in, too.
0: Yeah, but LaMelo Ball has legitimately surprised a lot of people in how good he's been.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's had his moments. I think he's going to have to work through some things. Um, and Gordon Hayward is, like, back. So wait, wait,
0: the first time in like five years he's been
1: yeah. back. Um, but yeah, I mean, as the East goes, I'm, I'm interested to see in how this Brooklyn and Philadelphia team uh, kind of grow. You know, Philadelphia is almost like another team like the Clippers. It's like I'm not going to trust it till I see it almost. But with the number of guys that they have, and like I, I believe I saw a stat that they're undefeated with all of their guys on the roster healthy. And, uh, you know, the way they play basketball and the way Embiid's playing, he's might be the MVP right now. It's hard to bet against that team if they're going to play that high level uh, come postseason.
0: Meanwhile, we have the Cavs and the Magic. Cavs specifically having played some really strong games.
1: Yeah, Colin Sexton beat the Nets by himself, basically. Yeah, and
0: then had a really good game against the Lakers. Yeah. Um, Again, I think you look at it and we kind of explained it. It's the Lakers, Jazz, and Clippers in the West. And then we'll see which other teams perform well down the stretch. And then I think if you're looking in the East, you got to go with those Celtics 76ers and Bucks, with the Nets probably back there, but we'll have to see how they do come down the stretch. Uh, we'll give our late January predictions. You know, we haven't even reached, if we're going to have an All-Star game, we haven't reached it yet. But if you had to predict how who the finals matchup would be, not necessarily who won, what would
1: you think? Um, it's basic, but I'd probably go Lakers-Nets right now and then I picked the Lakers to win. Uh, I could see the Sixers making it, but I just feel like those are the two most talented teams, so I'd go with the Lakers-Nets.
0: I'm going to go with Lakers-Sixers because I do think that, similar to what we we talked about uh, with the NFC playoffs, it's a lot about matchups mm-hmm. and who plays well against who. I think if you see the Celtics and the Nets play each other, I think the Celtics could be able to sneak by that. And then Celtics-76ers this year has gone heavily towards the 76ers yeah so yeah I I do think it's very interesting because we're definitely still in that LeBron domination era but there are a lot more fun teams than we've seen in a lot of years um I know I'm glad we're finally out of the stupid Warriors Cavs era of basketball because that was probably the worst in terms of just we know what the finals matchup is every year and we're sick of it yeah, this year at least there's some intrigue.
1: All well, now around. now it seems like we have that in college basketball. Oh, which, yeah. Why well, we can segue into that? Nice transition there. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Kyle Grondon, king of transitions. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting though because uh, if you look at you know I don't think events stats are the be all end all, but if you look at Ken Palm ratings, Gonzaga and Baylor are, I think, two or three percentage points in Ken Palm ahead of everybody else in the mm-hmm. college basketball. And the last time we saw that was Illinois and North Carolina back in 2005, yeah. 2006. Um, and those two ended up playing each other in the championship. So it seems like we're kind of on this crash course to this Baylor-Gonzaga matchup, that would, which would be really fun and I think good for college basketball if those two teams make it. But we've seen March Madness be weird. So is this is this a chalk March Madness or is it just kind of going to be these two teams heading for the finals?
0: Well, it's also that this year I feel like the narratives around college uh, basketball have been more around the the struggling teams than the good teams. You know, everyone's talking about the fact that Kentucky, Duke, and North Carolina aren't in the polls, versus the fact that I mean, obviously there are people talking about Gonzaga and Duke and North uh, Gonzaga and Baylor, but they're they're killing everyone. And now, obviously, Gonzaga doesn't necessarily play in the SEC of basketball. Uh, not to discount any WAC teams or WCC, WCC teams, whatever. He, be better for me to consider you an actual comp, but no, just kidding. Uh, they're they're not necessarily the Big Twelve or the Big Ten or the ACC right now, but you know you got to give credit to Gonzaga. They had a murderer's row in the in the uh, pre-conference part of their schedule, yeah. and they dominated everyone. Yeah. Uh, the only competition that they we would have loved to have seen them play Baylor, which they were originally scheduled for, that game obviously gets canceled. Uh, which, by the way, I felt like was the basketball gods trying to delay that matchup until until
1: the finals. Till the finals. Yeah, I mean, don't discount the W. No, the WCC is not that good. <laughs> Although San Francisco did beat Virginia, so there's that. I still don't think uh, Virginia's that good this year. though. I mean, they're playing some good ball. I think. I mean, but yeah, I mean, so Gonzaga typically has among the highest non-conference schedule. Strength of schedule ratings, uh, because they have to schedule their games there to get some respect, and they continue. They dominated everybody. They beat them all by double digits, basically. They crushed Kansas. They crushed West Virginia, and they crushed Virginia. So, this is a really good basketball team that looks like looks the part of a national championship champion. This is one of the best offenses we've seen in probably ten to fifteen years in college basketball. Yeah, and it's just it's unreal how good they are with Jalen Suggs, with Drew Timmy in the post with Corey Kispert, who seemingly doesn't miss from three. Uh, all of these pieces coming together. This is a really good offense that can outscore just about anybody in the college basketball.
0: Yeah, they they. I remember back in 2017 when that Gonzaga team, the, the team that ended up making the championship versus North Carolina, I remember there were a lot of people talking about how just all around great that Gonzaga team was and how they were. Obviously, the best Gonzaga team at that up to that point, and just looking at this team versus that team, like there is no this Gonzaga team is just maybe my favorite uh, basketball team of the last six
1: or seven years. Yeah. They've just been so good. Yeah, that team was interesting because it had uh, you know it had Sabonis and then it had Zach Collins, who's on the Trailblazers off the bench too. Um, so that was a really loaded team. But yeah, this team with the way Suggs is playing is. Pretty unreal. They haven't had this kind of top-end talent with guys like Suggs and time. They may so. have three top-ten picks if they wanted to. Well, I don't know if Timey will be, but I think Kispert's in the conversation now, which is crazy, uh, based on what he was before. He's basically climbed into the lottery with his ability to shoot and his mm-hmm. athleticism. And then Suggs is going to be a surefire top-five pick. He looks the part of a standout point guard and... Yeah, I mean, not a lot of teams are going to be able to beat this team. I know Baylor, it's an interesting contrast because it's the best offense against the best defense in Baylor. It's going to be interesting to see if those two teams can make it and uh, match up. Baylor was always a team
0: going into parts of, especially because last year was so weird in terms of top teams falling seemingly every five minutes. Yeah. where i didn't understand if Baylor was just good or if they just got lucky in how they matched up and how they played through some of their schedule i watched that game against Texas Tech this year and i just i'm amazed by that defense and the work that that team has done they if there is a team that's going to upset that Gonzaga offense it is this Baylor defense they mm-hmm. they have a
1: lot of weapons yeah, and Scott Drew has essentially churned his entire career around. It looked like he was just this middling coach. Mm-hmm. And I was coaching an elite team for back-to-back years. It's a really good team with a loaded roster. And uh, yeah, they can stop anybody. But it'll be interesting to see how those two teams match up. I'm excited for it.
0: And the the other thing that's, I think, very interesting about this year is it reminds me a lot of, like, 2015 in terms of... You know, you look at that Kentucky team from 2015, you look at that Wisconsin team from 2015, that Duke team from 2015, there were really only three good teams that year, and those three ultimately went to the Final Four, and Kentucky lost to Wisconsin, and then Duke won the whole thing. I don't know if there's another team this year that's even close. You talked about that Ken Palm percentage. I don't know if there's a team like obviously the tournament's going to happen as it happens and a team could just suddenly have a great shooting night and upset you but in terms of like if you're giving me like a nba style best of seven series I don't know if there's another team that I would guess and bet would have a a
1: shot against these two top teams well it sure as hell isn't going to be kentucky no (laughs) um yeah that'll be an interesting story if uh you know John Calipari might go to the NBA or something like that this year. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's any team right now, so right now, uh, third in the list is Michigan. Michigan has is, uh, had a good year overall. I still like Iowa just because of the offense and having the best player on the court. Um, you know, I think Luca Garza can win a lot, team a lot of games. And, you know, he has great players around and make that offense. But I think Iowa could be that sneaky contender for the third team, but I just don't see it right now. Uh, that's another team Gonzaga beat by double digits. They beat them up too. yeah,
0: the the thing with a lot of those big ten teams, and I think you look at Iowa, you look at Illinois this year, you look at Michigan this year. There are a lot of good teams, but I think in the way that they the SEC kind of pushes your good teams in until one and ultimately comes out on top, I don't know if there's a team this year necessarily in the big in the big ten, I could say, is, hands and leagues better than, than anyone else mm-hmm. obviously if a team near the end of that season and in the big 10 in the big 10 tournament ends up having a run then i could see them possibly making a run in the tournament but right now a lot like i don't know i don't know how i could separate like if illinois is going to be better this game or if michigan's going to be better this game or if maryland's going to be better this game there are legitimately like six teams deep and all of them have a shot at being that third, fourth best team in the country at that moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. This, this whole year, you look at that situation, you look at the situation in the, I mean, the sec who would consider that Alabama would be the best team in that yeah.
1: conference. They have been playing amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's one team I think you could look, keep an eye on, too, because they shoot the lights out. When those guards get hot, they can hit just about anything from three. So, And we've seen teams be able to do that, especially when you look at Cinderella teams or underdogs mm-hmm. who upset higher seeds in tournament games. It's typically because they're hitting three-point shots. You live by the three, you die by the three. And if Alabama's able to win by the three in the tournament, then, yeah, I think they can make a run, too, because those guards can hit shots. But at the same
0: time, I think you bring about why I think Alabama would be the team that gets a high seed and then fails. Is there the team that could have a bad shooting night and then suddenly yeah. they're out? Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of talk in that conference I feel like is about the situation right now in Lexington. And I'll mention it briefly just because I am a big part of Big Blue Nation and I'm a Kentucky fan in general. That is a team to me that – I don't want to say Calipari's just never coached it well, but I feel like he, he's always, in his time at Kentucky, tried to give credit to the top recruited athletes. And obviously that helps because that promotes to future five-star players that you can come there and start. But I feel like he's definitely not coaching that team well. He, I felt like he's been outcoached in every game this season.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of his style has kind of been simplicity to it you know, he's going to get athletes on the perimeter and let them attack the basket. That's always been kind of his MO, when it, whether it was Kentucky, Memphis, UMass. And then he usually has a big guy there for rebound and pokeback dunks, whether it's Colley Stein, Marcus Canby, all those guys. So, you know, maybe, you know, that can work at times. And obviously when he has the top end talent to attack on the perimeter, it looks really good and it looks like a championship team. But, this team just doesn't have the top end talent that some of the other Kentucky teams have had. And I just think with the way bas- college basketball is going and recruiting is going where the, you know, overseas recruits is becoming a real thing. And the G league initiative to bring high school players there for the draft is becoming a big thing and just a lot more parody in college basketball where it looks like Gonzaga once again, might get the number one recruit in the country for next season. And, uh, you know, just the constant parody in the league has changed things to where I don't know if that style is going to be continuing to, I don't know if that style is going to continue to work of recruiting that kind of talent and then galvanizing that team where you're getting five top 20 recruits in the country year after year. I don't know if that's realistic anymore.
0: And it's also that it kind of, you mentioned it with the parody issue, college best, college sports in general are move a mile a minute to where one season you're the top of the class, and you're doing great, and then suddenly you blink, and it's two years later, and you're back at the bottom of the, uh, the conference. Uh, we see this with like Auburn football. We saw this a couple of years ago. Uh, we've seen this with North Carolina basketball, and kind of do basketball this year. Mm-hmm. But especially you look at Kentucky since that 2017 run with Jamal Murray and Bam Adebayo, or sorry, not Jamal Murray, uh, De'Aaron Fox, M- Malik Monk, and Bam Adebayo. They've kind of been irrelevant since then. Mm -hmm. Like, I believe in 2019, they did make a run to the Sweet 16, but didn't go any further. And they've not really been at that level since then. You look at last year, uh, or sorry, two years ago, getting killed by Duke uh, in the first game of the season with Zion. And then you look at last year, they had some good games. But they did not look like the top team in the conference in terms of Auburn and how that looked shaped up. They were starting to peak near the end, but then COVID obviously took away the SEC tournament. Mm -hmm. And now this year, they're a team that legitimately looks lost, both from a coaching perspective, from a player perspective. Now, the good thing about the whole mile a minute thing is that it can help. That means that next year could you could be back. Next year, you get the right recruits. Maybe some of these players stay and they grow up. And suddenly, you're back in contention. And this year becomes like 2013, where it's like a mulligan year. Mm -hmm. And obviously, everyone's dealing with everything. But in terms of you look at the the, the trajectory of Kentucky basketball, especially as the SEC around it has started to just get better competitively, Uh, you look at what uh, Auburn built last year you look at what Alabama's building this year uh, there's still some other really good teams in terms of your Floridas your Georgias maybe a and if they can figure out uh, their recruiting issue and can kind of close out some games uh, but the, the conference in general is no longer Kentucky and then everyone else and when you're looking at one of these blue bloods of college basketball, one of these teams that, in theory, Calipari did a great job of resurrecting from this funk that they had had in the end of the Tubby Smith and the beginning of the, in the Billy
1: Gillespie era. They're back to kind of being okay. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, I just think it's a different college basketball. And once again, Calipari is going to have to adapt. I think he can. It's going to be interesting to see what that next evolution of Kentucky is. Uh, or, you know, if I had to list teams, is uh, Kentucky, Washington Wizards, Sacramento Kings, which one's John Calipari coaching next year?
0: And I could also see, in, in kind of the same situation that we've seen throughout basketball, I could see where he's kind of forced to go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like, the school, there, there's a lot of discussion about if he wants to come back, just in general. Yeah. Um, and this year, I think, was a great example of is his heart in the mood to to do it again. Uh, we we talked about it with uh, Urban Meyer last week in terms of you know college coaches get to kind of recruit, but that also means that you could have great players and then they leave immediately. Yeah. So would would he prefer having those players return and having those relationships stay with him? You know there are enough good players in the NBA that he's coached that maybe they he can recruit, like get them to come to want to be one of to be on his NBA team.
1: I'd like to see him on the Kings.
0: The the Kings make sense mainly because they're that they're kind of the they're not the Cleveland Browns of the NBA because they've never lost that badly. They're kind of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've never
1: lost that badly.
0: They were robbed by Tim Donaghy. Donnie. No, I mean in terms of they've never been that poorly.
1: Oh. Like when yeah. we think
0: of the Cleveland Browns, we think of them as the like the team that had two straight first round picks. Oh yeah. The team that always was picking in the top five. I think of the Kings more as the like Jacksonville Jaguars, as that team that never makes the playoffs and is never considered a good team, but yeah. just never is bad enough to
1: yeah and i think he'd have his pick of jobs i think if he goes to the nba you know he's looking at a situation where he could go to the nba and join the wizards and essentially be a part of this rebuild now that rebuild could include ben simmons if they trade him for bradley Beal, um or he could go to like the kings who have pieces like De'Aaron fox and have pieces like tyrese Halliburton, who i think's been the rookie of the year this year and have those pieces to build around you know that's a pretty desirable option plus he's in California which is always nice so maybe the Kings make a lot of sense plus he worked with Fox obviously at Kentucky so i i could see it happening i see like i feel like if he if he is going to lead this is kind of the time
0: especially with how his career is going and how the ncaa is going yeah um but yeah i think what's it, again well, we we talked about this it's funny that that's going to be the major talking point of this year when you have these two teams that are playing so well. And this conference, if you look at the Big Ten, has just been so dominant in terms of having so many great teams. It's sad in the sense that the narrative is only going to be about a guy on a losing team and, and, and how they functioned. Um, especially when they're not the only team that's had dysfunction. You look at Duke. You look at north carolina north carolina over the last couple years since that 2017 team has not been doing great
1: they're very up or down um they it's the same sort of thing when they have those high level recruits and high level players they look like a decent basketball team but they just don't always have it and you know roy williams also hasn't recruited at the same consistency as john calipari to bring in those talents uh i think he struggled with the transition to one and done more than just about any other high level coach uh so, yeah, North Carolina and Duke are in a weird spot right now. Um, I'm excited for the Duke, uh, Duke and Kentucky NIT finals, honestly.
0: <laughs> the, the, I remember, I can't remember who it was, but someone was actually having the discussion of, like, would Kentucky even make the NIT? Yeah. And I was like, okay, you could argue that by record, but you're telling me the NIT wouldn't want Kentucky and Duke just for the viewership? They probably would, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the narrative right now um obviously everyone's going to be predicting baylor gonzaga in the finals but is give me your final four predictions i guess would be the equivalent (laughs) we've been going with
1: well if sharif cooper keeps playing out of his mind you got to put auburn auburn in there Uh, they just beat another top 15 team he's insane he's very good he was great in georgia too when he was playing in high school there um, I don't think they're a good enough Final Four team, but he's a very not good right player. Not right now. No. Um, I'm going to go with. I'd go with. Obviously, not knowing the matchups or the regions or anything like that, I think Gonzaga and Baylor are in there. I'm going to include Iowa and I'll throw in Villanova. I feel like Villanova gets in there as well, and I'm taking Gonzaga over Baylor for the championship, bringing a title to Spokane. He didn't see it because uh,
0: But he just did a giant. Uh surfer up dude i don't know what you call it yeah Yeah.
1: hang loose man gonzaga baby let's do it
0: yeah uh i I will say the same thing in gonzaga over baylor uh just because i think if you look at that matchup gonzaga has too much firepower to i think they'll really hurt against that baylor uh defense final four picks i definitely think a big 10 team's gonna get there i think they're just too, too many talented teams in that conference to miss out of the final four uh I'm going to go with Michigan right now because I think Michigan has the best overall team. Though I do agree with you that Iowa has that just star power in Luke Rosa that I don't necessarily think any other Big Ten team has. Um, looking at the rest of the, I think it's going to end up being between Michigan, or sorry, not Michigan, between for that final spot between Houston and one of those ACC teams. Just because you look at like how Virginia does normally in the season, they do really well. Same with we've seen Florida State play really well this year, in terms of as a like second tier team. But Houston has really shocked me, yeah. and I think there's always that team every year that shocks you with how they perform going into this, the tournament. And so I'll go. I'll go. Uh, I know they're probably the top four teams right now in the in the standings. I'll probably just go gonzaga baylor uh houston and michigan
1: yep i like it that's a good that's a good final four pick as well houston uh playing good basketball
0: well, i know this was a little bit shorter but you know we were trying to make sure to not talk about that other thing that's going on in two weeks you know
1: we'll talk about that
0: next week don't yeah worry. next next week we'll probably focus all on that world um before we go though i wanted to get your thoughts on what's going on with tennessee in the college football world i know they just recently hired the ucf athletic director and um what what do you think they will end up, ultimately end up doing a coach
1: well they made the coach hire today apparently it's josh heiple they brought him from they UCF did it officially well. or is that just i know there has that been the reports out there is that he's coming to uh Tennessee. I don't know if they've made a full statement about it, but I think it's happening. Um, so, as a as a UCF student, I was very disappointed to see Danny White go because he's a good... I thought he was the best group of five athletic director in the country, with not just football, the way he was able to bring guys like Johnny Dawkins to that basketball program, and make that one of the better athletic programs, I think, in the country. Uh, he's done a really good job at UCF with that, but I think... Seeing the reaction of fans when a coach leaves and goes to another job is a good indicator of how good of a hire it is. I think UCF fans are thrilled that Josh Heupel's gone. I don't think it's been <laughs> nearly the same. That uh, no, it's it hasn't. It, it hasn't been the same since Scott Frost left. He, to me, he feels like a guy who isn't aggressive enough to be a great coach and is kind of like uh, if you want to get to eight and four, I think Josh Heupel's your guy. If you want to get to seven and five, Josh Heupel's your guy because I think he can recruit well. And your offense will always be pretty solid, but it's not the same as getting a high level coach. So I hate to be critical of the guy, but I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of Josh Heupel and I'm okay with that. You're the UCF guy. So you probably know more about
0: that world. I know from the Tennessee fans, they were not happy with the reported hire. I guess it's now official. Uh, Just because he felt like a great offensive coordinator and not a great uh, head coach. Um, I know a lot of Tennessee fans were looking for Lane Kiffin and I know that was never going to happen for multiple, multiple, multiple reasons. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, Tennessee is always that weird team in that by face value, they should be the like third or fourth team in that East in the SEC East, just because of, you know, you look at Florida and Georgia, but then outside of those two, it's kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. And Tennessee has one of the best track records of those other teams, if not of just the entire SEC East. Uh, But since that, and really since that uh, early Peyton Manning, uh, T. Martin teams, they've really underperformed. And, obviously, last year they had that great run to close the season to end up earning bowl eligibility. But they've just not been a good team. And that's despite the fact that they were giving players cash in McDonald's uh, <laughs> bags. Um, they still have talent. They still yeah. have talent. Well, I mean, maybe. Uh, maybe all their talent transfers out now. Oh, they, that's true. They've yeah. seen that over the last couple of weeks. I don't know. They're Their team that has the potential to be – an sec powerhouse in the same way that we see alabama lsu maybe a&m maybe uh, auburn maybe some of those mississippi schools we see those teams constantly in that conversation of are they a powerhouse tennessee has that ability and that pedigree in the positioning and where they location wise they've just never done it for the last 10 to 15 years uh the big move will ultimately, I think, was the firing of Fulmer because there were a lot of questionable things both on the football field and just in general in that athletic program about what Fulmer was doing. Um, I know a lot of Tennessee fans that I've spoken to wanted him fired five years ago yeah.
1: uh,
0: after the um, Butch, Butch Jones hiring. So I don't know. It's there an interesting situation. I would be surprised just with how the trajectory of – the SEC has been over the last five to ten years. I would be surprised if he's a like slam dunk. Think of your like, uh, Orgeron or slam Sam Pittman hires or Jimbo Fisher to that degree. But I also wouldn't be surprised
1: if he has long-term success. He's He's got some tools. We'll see. Um, I'm not going to count it out because I think he can coach a good offense and I think he can recruit pretty well. Um, I guess the question is, was there a candidate, an immediate candidate who you thought could have? Well, that's a tough thing. At the at the spot that they fired um, Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt, it's a tough thing to get a candidate at that point. I thought the best move that they could have done was to do maybe an interim coach for the year. Because the problem is these co- coaches like to be involved in the recruiting process early. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, you're asking basically a coach to coach his first season with his hand signed behind his back. So mul- possibly multiple years behind his back. We don't know what's yeah. going to be happening. So maybe, you know, maybe that maybe it was the best move would have been an interim for the year and then get the, you know, you had the first pickings of a guy next December, but <laughs> maybe that's know, what Weppel is. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, it's possible. So that, that's the tough thing about jumping to that higher. I think he'll be okay. I don't know if he'll be the guy long term, but I think it's an okay hiring. I just, I'm happy to see him leave UCF, honestly. I felt like things had kind of stagnated there. And, you know, UCF fans want to be a really good football program and they were close. I
0: also remember when the hire, when a lot of the discussion about him hiring, I know a lot of people were asking, like, why is he even a candidate? And I just was like, well, he hired him the first time. So obviously Danny White or White likes him. Uh, So obviously there's a connection there. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting situation. It's, it's going to be something we're going to have to see over the next five to ten years. But I know, has there been any discussions on who's going to be replacing Hweppel in uh, Central Florida?
1: Well, the first thing is going to be hiring the athletic director. Um, I, I haven't heard anything about who I, uh, who's replacing Danny White there. Um, but that'll take some time. But I think there's some pretty good candidates out there that they could uh, ask for. Hopefully not Randy Shannon, who's our defensive coordinator. Uh, not a very good defensive coordinator. I think that would be a bad hire. Um, but there's guys out there, whether it's like Jeff Levy, who's the uh, offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, was formerly with our offense, I think he'd be a good hire. There's Will Neely, who's the head coach at Charlotte, who did really good things with Austin P at the Division II level. I think he's the youngest coach at the Division I level right now. He'd be a good hire. And then you could even make a phone call to a guy like Jeremy Chadwell, who did great things with Coastal Carolina, I don't know if he take the job. Yeah, I was and gonna go to say. Do you think
0: that's of, such a much bigger improvement? I mean, it's a
1: better group of five job than Coastal Carolina. Yeah, but, but I it, think he's a guy. If he waited, if he had another good year or two, is going to get a power five job. So it's it, he probably wouldn't do it. But you make the phone call and yeah, see what happens. Yeah,
0: my question is, uh because I understand that UCF is a much better job than Coastal Carolina. is a is a better job than Coastal Carolina. My question is, is it a much of a move up that it would signify leaving your your team, especially after you've only had one to one to two pure years of success. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's the question. Um, but I still think you call a guy like Chadwell and make him say no. You, yeah. Um, and then I'd call a guy like Will Neely at Charlotte and make him uh, say no, because I, I do think that's a huge step up from Charlotte. Um, so I think that'd be a good hire. And I, like I said, Jeff Levy, who, uh, a lot of people think is going to be a head coach one day. And, uh, Helped with Lane Kiffin made one of the best offenses in the country this past year, so I think that'd be a good hire as well. We'll see what happens. But then. no internal hires. I don't know. So the option would basically be Randy Shannon, and I'm not a huge fan of Randy Shannon on defense. Uh, the offensive coordinator didn't have to do a whole lot because uh, Heupel was doing a lot of the play calling. So I don't know about that one. I think they go. I think they go external, especially whenever they eventually do hire this athletic director. I'm assuming he's going to want a new guy that's his guy, so I don't see it being an in-house hire.
0: Is there any in-person guy who you think could take over that athletic director spot, or do you think it's going to have to be someone outside of the program?
1: I think it'd be someone outside of the program. I think it's another situation where you can get a athletic director at a smaller program come to UCF as kind of that next step up as they, you know, maybe they want a Power 5 job one day, but they're going to UCF as that stepping tones of that job because it is a step up for a lot of group of five schools and we saw that with danny white yeah so
0: anyway uh that's it for this uh pre super bowl week uh discussion next week we'll definitely be more focused on uh the big game down in tampa as we will probably have to call it uh yeah. m- uh my name is jackson king i'm kyle grandin and thank you for listening to this week's episode of the sportscast Or sorry thank you for listening to this week's episode of sports break podcast thanks and gig em. Peace.